I mean, if, it, if winning is important to you, Scott, then you win. <laughs> Howdy, you're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans. We're three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State, share views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zulkowski. I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom. Salt is one of the most important minerals on Earth. We need it in our bodies to survive, and it helps to make food taste good. Throughout history, salt has been a source of status, conflict, and wealth that drives commerce. Texas is fortunate enough to have major deposits of pure salt that have made it one of the largest suppliers in the United States for this precious commodity. Today, we're focusing on one of the most prominent suppliers of salt in the world, Grand Saline, Texas. But first, what's the saltiest thing you've ever had in Texas? Well, look, I mean, I've had some, some terrible ham from some terrible people, just very salty, awful pork. But uh, the salt, when I think about salt, I think about going to a restaurant and get terribly over-salted chips at a Mexican restaurant. I prefer <laughs> to add the salt myself because I am a grown man who can be trusted to be responsible with a salt shaker. Yes. Although, though, to be fair, I've been with people who really salty chips and then they put more salt on it. I'm not a, I'm not a huge salt well, guy. You can you can count my daughter among the number who will always put more salt on something. But uh most fortunately most of the places that we go um they will give us the chips unsalted and allow us to salt them ourselves. Um though I guess the main exception being places that have some sort of seasoned special season salt that they put on there. But uh generally whether it's a side effect of um, health conscious, heart uh, concerned people that uh, have complained enough that they don't salt, whatever the reason, um, we're fortunate to to have to avoid that the oversalted chips. Unless my daughter gets hold of it first. Yeah, I think Fuzzy's Taco would be one of those kind of ex- exceptions yes. with their seasoned <laughs> chips. Shout out to Fuzzy's, Fuzzies. Torchies, uh, those those taco places. Yeah. Well, I. Uh... I don't eat chips because I can't eat corn. So my dietary habits just prevent me from worrying about that. Um, for me, the brisket at Salt Lake Barbecue down in Round Rock is pretty dadgum salty. Uh, uh, it's yeah, It was okay, but it was the ribs were really good. But the brisket was just too salty yeah, on the rub. Um, but I did... That salt discussion reminds me of a story, a quick story. Uh, our old friend Jared from college and I were at the Wendy's down in Richardson on uh, Campbell and 75. And we were in there and we were having uh, some dollar menu burgers and fries. And this lady came storming into the, oh, to the, were you there, Scott? Story. No, yeah. but I heard the story. Yeah. This lady came storming into the restaurant and just makes a beeline for the counter and it's just she's a her hair is on fire and she says i went through the drive-thru and i told you people i can't have salt i want fries that don't have salt and you gave me fries and they're covered in salt don't you know i have a heart condition and the manager was like ma'am we can't we there's salt in the pan and in the frying oil <laughs> I can't give you salt-free fries. I have a heart condition. Do you want me to die? And Jared and I just laughed at that because, yeah. You would order French fries from from Wendy's and ask them not to put salt on it. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah. 
There's uh, some cross-contamination that's going to happen boy, there. Boy, boy, boy. Boy, oh, boy, 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 boy. I think in most fast food restaurants, there's going to be salt uh, just in the air. So Yes, yes. Yeah, and unfortunately, Wendy's has changed their, their fries, and in my opinion, they're terrible now, so. Yeah. Mm. Well, this is some 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 salty food talk. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So Salt, um, salty food talk. <laughs> I may have the uh, the trump card here, um, but um, I think when uh, I have vague memories, um, this may be apocryphal in my own mind. But um, when I was a kid, we would used to go visit uh, my grandparents uh, out there in the country, outside of Austin, around Bastrop. Elgin area and they'd had cows and uh, one of the things that they had for the cows out in the field was the nice salt licks that they'd put out they'd set them out on uh, old steel uh, car wheels right uh, was what they would they'd put that out there and they'd put the salt lick on top of that and then the cows could come up and lick that and get the, the salt that they needed in their diet and uh, I'm pretty sure I licked one of those um, it's super salty very very salty Anybody, so, anybody have anything saltier than no. an actual salt lick? I mean, if, it, if winning is important to you, Scott, then you win. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> that that sounds pretty gross. And uh, yikes. So, uh, you know, take it easy on the salt. Do your heart a favor. Yeah. yeah. And then we're going to play the, the more you know, like in the do-do-do-do. <laughs> From East Texas to West, from the Gulf Coast to the High Plains, you can find a history of salt production in the Lone Star State. Salt is, in fact, the oldest commercially produced mineral in Texas. Native Americans would harvest salt from the sea and inland salt beds. The Spaniards, when they arrived, claimed and exploited salt lakes, La Sal del Rey and La Salvieja in South Texas. And some of the state's largest salt deposits are the massive underground salt domes along the Gulf Coast. One of the biggest sources of salt in the state and in the nation is located near the city of Grand Saline in Van Zant County, which is about 75 miles northeast of Dallas. It's basically be, kind of between Dallas and Tyler. Now, long before Europeans settled there, the Caddo and Cherokee tribes were harvesting salt from a briny stream that drained into a salt plain, and they traded this precious mineral for other goods. They would collect water from the stream and then leave it to evaporate on the shore. Following the Texas Revolution in the mid-19th century, as we saw from our Mirabeau Lamar episode, these tribes were forced out of the area by anti-Native policies, and the Anglo settlers moved in to take their place. Yeah. Um, Lamar did not like the Native Americans. Mm-mm. Not at all. In 1845, a man named John Jordan partnered with A.T. McGee to set up their own salt works along that stream. They filled up large iron cauldrons that they uh, reportedly got in Nacogdoches with the briny water and uh, with using log fires boiled off the moisture and just leaving the salt behind. They dump it out and scrape it out of those kettles and bag it up and ship it off. This settlement that grew up around the salt operation became known as Jordan Saline and was for a time the Van Zant County seat. These salt works were fairly primitive, but the commodity they produced was crucial to the economic development in that area. In 1850, the Jordan and McGee salt works were leased to a Frederick J. Ham, who bought them outright a few years later in 1857. 
the output was still relatively small by that time um, because they were still boiling it down from the surface water. And the salt was, you know, it was hard to move. They were still moving it out by ox cart and wagons. Uh, the train, the railroad had not come through at that time. The, the famed ox cart trail of Texas. Yes, part of the ox, ox cart trail. Samuel Q. Richardson came to Jordan Saline and bought the ham operation in 1859. Originally from Kentucky, Richardson had previously made a name for himself, running several mills in East Texas, and served as deputy sheriff in Rusk County in 1851 and 1852. He quickly set to work improving Jordan's saline plant, digging several wells, installing an ox-powered pump, and gum-lug pipes to carry water from the wells to the boiling pots. By the time of the Civil War, the Richardson plant was producing 500 pounds of salt a day. Now this salt production was deemed invaluable to the Confederate war effort. In addition to preserving food, salt was used in great quantities to process and tan hides, among other industrial applications. The salt was so vital that Jordan Saline was possibly one of the most protected cities in the Lone Star State during the war. As an example of the value of the salt and facilities that produced them, the salt works at La Salda Rey in South Texas was captured by the Union Army in 1863 and it was the subject of a targeted and specific campaign. When the Confederacy took over La Salda Rey, they attempted to move the salt that had already been produced to where it was needed by camel. And each one of those camels carried 600 pounds of salt. I guess Jeff, Jeff Davis just could not get rid of that idea of camels. Um, <laughs> however, this made them vulnerable targets of theft, and the camel train was eventually abandoned because camels are slow. Uh, and but you can let them loose in the desert and they'll mostly survive for a couple of years for a long time. Yeah, uh, I, I just thought in the the research that was interesting after we we had talked about camels in Texas that yeah. was a, a detail that I did not remember coming across yeah. was that they were used to uh, carry salt by the Confederacy. So Mr. Davis's camels in Texas. <laughs> now the Richardson Salt Works continued to operate through the war. And by the end, had increased their production to over 2,500 pounds per day. In 1875, he leased his operation in Grand Saline to the GM Overlease Corporation from St. Louis. And he moved to Dallas, where he operated an ice plant for several years. Now, in his absence, GM Overlease improved the operation of the salt works by replacing the wood-fired kettles with large, shallow metal pans, leveraging the heat of the sun to do all the, the work for them. So it was cheaper. After a few years, Richardson returned to Grand Saline and he drilled the first deep well. I think it was over 350 feet deep into the salt deposit, the salt dome underneath Van Zant County. He pierced the rock salt bed that was down there and the, I guess the water, either they pumped water down or water flowed up from the bottom and it produced a much more potent brine than they could get just from the stream. So they were able to get more salt per you know, cubic foot of water, I guess. Around this time, and shortly after the Civil War, the Texas and Pacific Railroad was extended from Marshall to Dallas. The depot in Van Zandt County was named Grand Saline, and it was here along this track that Richardson built his newer, more productive salt plant. By 1892, he had increased production to over 600 barrels a day. Assuming each barrel weighed several hundred pounds, you can see the changes brought by the industrial age. In addition to the Richardson Salt Works, Several other companies set up operations in the area, and the Van Zant salt boom was in full effect. Mm, boom towns, yet another boom. Boom in Texas. towns, salty salt boom. boom. Wow. Well, in 1890, a company called the Grand Saline Salt Company was started, and it drilled an even deeper 
well into the dome. The Lone Star Salt Company was organized by a man named Byron Parsons, and he introduced the area's first steam-powered salt plant. Well, we get the steam power going on here. Uh, at any rate, continuous improvement in techniques for mining and extraction would fuel the industrial boom in Van Zant County. And the city of Grand Saline was officially incorporated in 1895, and they received a donation of a large parcel of land from Samuel Richardson to get them started. Former settlement of Jordan Saline began to fade into memory, as all the frontier settlements tend to do over time. It's kind of sad. And meanwhile, uh, Richardson himself installed steam pipes to his evaporating pans, and his production increased to 17,000 daily pounds. It's a lot of salt. As a point of reference, Texas as a whole in 1893 was producing 18,000 tons of salt and ramped up to over 44,000 tons by 1899. So you can see salt was becoming a major industry in the Lone Star State, and that trend would continue into the present day. Samuel Richardson passed away in 1900, and his holdings in the salt plant passed through the hands of his heirs and eventually were absorbed by the Grand Saline Salt Company in 1904. Technological advances continued to drive the salt industry, and a state-of-the-art vacuum pan extraction method in 1914 increased production tremendously. The state's total salt spoils by 1917 was over 85,000 tons. By 1920, the venerable Morton Salt Company had acquired almost all of the smaller companies, including the Grand Saline Salt Company, and in 1929, they expanded their operations to include mining for rock salt, using methods similar to coal mining. Morton Salt Company was a company founded in Chicago in 1848, so that's why they were yep. venerable. Uh, 1931, the Morton Salt Mine was digging 700 feet beneath the surface and was crushing up salt and separating it into various grades before moving it into the surface. I bet you didn't know that salt had grades. Yeah. 500 tons a day were being shipped out. That's per day. By 1947, salt production in Texas, largely from Grand Saline, peaked at nearly 1.2 million tons. And even today, this continues to be a major industry. Yeah. I mean, today we're just talking about what's going on in Grand Saline, but uh, there's the salt domes in the Gulf Coast in East Texas. There's uh, salt lakes in the Panhandle. Um, there's salt all over Texas. Now, the Morton Salt Mine in Grand Saline uh, was still producing 400,000 tons of salt by 1982. Um, I looked around and I was trying to find current figures. I really couldn't find any current figures, so... Um, I bet it's more than that. Uh, the purity of the salt dome in Van Zant County is almost 99% sodium chloride. That's some of the purest salt on the planet. 99% pure salt straight out of the ground. Um, in fact, if you've had a pretzel, do you guys eat pretzels? Indeed. I do like pretzels, yes. Okay. I love me um, pretzel bread. You know that large grain pretzel salt that they put on pretzels? Yeah. Um, that pretty much comes straight from the Morton Salt Mine in Van Zant County in Grand Saline. Um, there's very little processing involved. If you've had a pretzel, especially in the United States, that has salt on it, it most likely came from underneath Grand Saline. Um, did some reading up on the mine itself, which is a pretty amazing engineering wonder. Um, it's got alabaster white walls, you know, pure rock salt walls. Uh, some chambers are over 85 feet high in some places, so you can imagine these giant underground chambers where they've dug out salt hundreds of feet below the surface. Uh, the article I read, they wrote a lift 57 stories underground um, to get to where the current operations are. 
They used to give tours to the public, but of course, since the 1960s, when safety regulations started to be more of a thing, um, they stopped doing those tours. Apparently, it's uh, considered too dangerous for the general public to go down there. Um, Morton says that that salt deposit reaches over 16,000 feet deep underground. And given its overall volume, they figure projecting the demands, that's enough to, they could probably mine that salt for 20,000 years at current levels. And, you know, that's a long time. (laughs) But considering it's taken, you know, over 250 million years for this salt deposit to form, um, I guess that's a, a small drop in the bucket, so to speak. Salt, of course, isn't the only thing that Grand Saline has had going for it over the years. Oil was discovered in nearby Van, Texas in 1920, and much of the support needed for those operations set up shop in the shadow of the salt works. There were at least 12 petroleum support companies in the areas in the 1930s, and also several lumber companies. Cotton and sweet potato farming are also prominent in the area. So, there you go. I mean, like, it's a uh, veritable playground for well there's some detail that didn't quite make it in here so in the 1940s during world war ii there was a salt mining strike (laughs) and so the town of grand saline uh, formed a group to bring other industries into the area so there's been some additional efforts i think there's a, a mobile home company or a manufactured home company that set up shop in grand saline in response to that but um Something that didn't quite make it into here also is that anywhere you find salt domes, um, there tends to be oil. So uh, the fact that uh, oil was discovered in Van, Texas, you know, near these salt deposits is not surprising. Now, one of the most memorable attractions of Grand Saline is the Salt Palace. This is a building that is built of rock salt bricks. It's now known as the Salt Palace Museum, and the original was built during the 1936 centennial celebration, as so many things we've talked about in Texas yeah. were built, it was built in 1936. Now, it was actually originally patterned after the Alamo, but it had to be torn down due to natural deterioration. Um, this is expected when you build a structure out of water-soluble material. In 1975, a citizens group got together to establish the Salt Festival in Grand Saline, and with that, they built another salt palace. It was built from solid rocks of salt, which were donated by Morton in the present-day location. And there's a salt-mortar mixture that holds them together. By 1993, again, the structure was melting away, and it was replaced by the current building, which finally incorporates an overhanging roof design to help preserve its salty exterior. So the roof's not salt. Um, It's real thing, real, real building supplies. The exhibits inside feature the salt industry, of course, but also the fascinating history of the people of Grand Saline. And now, although visitors are discouraged from licking the walls, uh, and every visitor does receive a free salt crystal as a souvenir, many people can't resist because salt is naturally anaerobic and naturally sterile. So you certainly can lick the walls and, you know, not get sick. Yep. And uh, just a reminder that the the salt festival, it uh, happens every June and Grand Saline. So if you're looking for something to do in June, maybe check out the Salt mm. Festival. Well, I might um, have to do that. It's only, uh, yeah. it's, um, it's less than an hour from uh, my house. Morton's is, I believe, still the largest employer in Grand Saline. Um, mm, it's got a, a pretty large operation there still. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I I first had the idea to write this because um, I was reading, uh, I forget which issue oh, it Texas was. Texas Highways, yeah. Yeah, there was a recent issue of Texas Highways magazine that had a, a short feature on uh, Grand and Celine and the, the Salt Palace. And I was like, huh, that sounds interesting. But we could talk about that on our show. And then, of course, I started reading, and salt's a pretty big deal in Texas. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I think we may do more episodes on salty Texas and uh, get into some of the other uh, salt deposits around. Um, I know I remember as a kid driving back and forth and traveling around the Galveston coast area. Um, they had the big piles of sulfur. Well, the sulfur actually comes from the top of the salt domes. Um, from what I understand, when these salt domes form, they get pushed up from deep in the crust. And along with all of the other minerals and stuff, there's like a crust of frequently a crust of sulfur on top of the salt. So once you, when you're mining down to the salt, you also go through the sulfur. Sulfur is also a, commodity so yeah see see the funny thing is is like the salt dome phenomenon is that uh i think of back in 92 there was a salt dome explosion so i was unaware there were all these salt domes and all the salt production but down in brenham near houston they had a an it was an empty salt dome mine and then an yeah. oil company bought it and was pumping a liquid petroleum down in there yeah yeah, because um, like I was saying, they're... it's perfect for storing oil because that's where natural oil forms. Mm -hmm. But uh, I just yeah. remember it was like the um, salt dome explosion. Yeah, and actually, in the late seventies, there was actually a uh, plan by the federal government to fill up <laughs> the uh, the Morton salt mine in Grand Saline. They were going to fill it up with petroleum from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. I guess to try and counteract the, uh, you know, the the crisis, the OPEC, mm -hmm. whatever, all of that yeah. stuff. They were like, you know, we're going to stockpile oil in the salt mine and in, in Grand Saline, but nothing ever came out of that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. Uh, one of the reasons that there's so much salt in Texas, and it's also carries over into Louisiana, this whole kind of region, this whole Gulf Coast region is because this all used to be an ocean bed, right? So all of that salt from the ocean ended up getting deposited as sediment, and then over the millions and millions of years, other sediment piled up on top of it and like pushed these salt domes up underneath. So um, if you're a if you're a geology nerd, um, there's there's many many uh, more facts to discover. In fact, one of the things I came across in my research was a geological um, exploration of Texas salt deposits and salt domes, and uh, it was much too dry for uh, a history podcast, but um, it's still fascinating. Well, now, Scott, I want to actually blow your mind a little bit and tell you that the National Strategic Petroleum Reserve is actually kept in salt domes, and it is a process where they create artificial caverns in existing salt domes, and they drill down down and dissolve the salt with water. Uh, and there are four major ones. Two are in Louisiana and then two are in Texas. One is in Winnie and one is in Freeport. Uh, the one in Freeport holds 254 yep, million not barrels. Not surprising at all. Yeah. And then the one in Winnie has 160 million barrels. So our, you know, it, it is not outside of the realm of possibility that that, that would occur. I, I think the Morton's the Morton's Dome, uh, the Morton's operation was probably profitable enough and 
strategic enough on its own to probably have weathered that that storm in the 70s uh yeah possibly yeah, being I think, filled with oil yeah i think again i think what one of the distinguishing characteristics from what i can tell of this particular uh, salt dome in Grand Saline is that it's so pure yeah. that um, you can basically go in and, and grind it up and just put it in a bag and go sell it and put yeah. it on your pretzels. That's it. Yeah. You know, you don't have to process it. You don't have to purify it. Um, one thing we didn't get into, you know, we talked about salt in general, salt production, but a lot of this salt gets uh, shipped out and used in chemical processing. So mm-hmm. one of the, the big consumers of this, this uh, salt production is chemical plants. Which there's a lot of them on the Texas Gulf Coast. There's a lot in Texas. In fact, uh, we'll hopefully uh, get a chance to talk about it in a future episode. But um, the, I believe it's the Dow Chemical Operation in Brazoria County um, actually is one of the largest producers or largest consumers of salt in Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what I found the, fascinating was what I found fascinating was just the notion that this salt dome is so huge. It's it's a, Sixteen thousand. You say it was sixteen thousand feet high. Or feet from from its base to the 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 cap below the surface, right? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and, that's and that doesn't the, take into account like the, the the actual volume of it, right? That's just right, like right. top to bottom, and then you think three dimensionally. It's like, wow, how big is this thing? It's well, huge. and yeah. So the so the height of it is taller than Pike's Peak. Yeah. That's yeah. that's the one thing. But I was reading in that article, it said that that the that the actual dome it's reaches such so wide it actually stretches into louisiana yes. now mike you live in east texas but how far of a drive is louisiana from where you live in tyler because you're not far from grand saline and grand saline is 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 about just under an hour you just head up yeah. to van and then you just go a little bit north but louisiana itself from from tyler is about an hour and a half yeah i mean that's still that's still you know over 100 miles right or yeah, right yeah. around 100 miles. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, over 100 miles. miles. Yeah, it's over 100 miles. So that's that's just, you know, one direction. So obviously it obvi- it's obviously also stretches back, you know, further into back to Dallas as well. So it's it's a huge huge thing that stretches it reaches across a big chunk of Texas. Well, there you go. Yep. We're sitting on a go. gold mine, yeah, fellas. Yeah, it's fascinating also. Yeah. <laughs> like well, it mine it continuously for 20,000 years. I mean, it's a, it's a salt mine actually. Yeah. Well, mine. yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is better than a gold mine. Psh, I, yeah, and that's the thing is that salt has always been, until the advent of oil, salt was the most important commodity in humanity, in humanity's history. Yeah. There's there's so many, uh, there's many books that have been written about just how important salt was because of the preservation capabilities that it had. And that it was it was absolutely critical to the building of civilizations, and so you know that Texas has so much of that it is pretty amazing. And then when you cap onto that, now that oil is the most you know valuable commodity in, in the world, uh, then you know Texas has so much of that. So that's yeah. pretty pretty cool for Texas. Yeah. So it's this is one of my favorite quotes and all of the all of the reading I did on this. Um, it goes, you don't have to have gold to live, says Kay Barber, a docent at Grand Saline Salt Palace. You don't have to have silver to live. You don't have to have coal to live. But you need to have salt to live. <laughs> so it has value um, intrinsically and also economically. Um, so salt. Salty Texas. I love it. 
So if you're uh, in the in the area, head on down to Grand Saline, check out the Salt Palace. Mm-hmm. Um, if you feel like licking the building, maybe make sure nobody's looking. Then go for it. I love it. I love it. And if you're a salt aficionado or a local who knows something about salt, be sure to get in touch with us. Let us know some other awesome salty stories of Texas. Yeah. That I would love to take a tour of the Morton Salt Mine. That'd be cool. Yeah. Morton Workers, hook us up. We can travel. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at brainstable.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to brainstable.com and leave some feedback. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at historypodcasters.com. And why not follow us individually, too? I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm Max Shaw with two ends. And I'm Scotticus. You know you love this show. You also know that uh, you love salt on your fries, chips, whatever you're eating. But make sure you get out there and tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes because that really helps us out to find listeners just like you. And if you'd like to support the show financially, please visit patreon.com slash texaspodcast where you too can become a come-and-take-it Texas Ranger. We hope you'll join us next time. And remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway. <laughs> <laughs>